It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. we got a good one in store today. Excuse me. Coming up in the uh, third half of our three-hour tour, uh, returning to the show is New York Times bestselling author and filmmaker Soman Chinani. Um, he has a new book. It's a prequel, actually, to his New York Times best-selling series uh, about the school for good and evil. This one's Rise of the School for Good and Evil. It's kind of a prequel to the series. And um, and there's also news about a major motion picture starring Charlie's Cher- uh, Theron coming out this fall called Rise of... Uh, or maybe called The School for Good and Evil. In any event, it's uh, a look back at the beginning of the series, and that's uh, coming out on Netflix this fall. And we'll be talking uh, about the new book and about Soman and his writing coming up in uh, just a couple hours or so. And uh, in the middle of our three-hour tour, this is going to be fascinating, best-selling author, Charlotte Dennett has penned a new book called Follow the Pipelines, Uncovering the Mystery of a Lost Spy and the Deadly Politics of the Great Game for Oil. This from the daughter of America's first master spy in the Middle East, uh, Daniel Clement Dennett. He was the uh, head of the CIA. But we're going to start out this first hour with uh, a Wall Street Journal best-selling author, Ken Rusk, talking about his book, Blue Collar Cash, Love Your Work, Secure Your Future, and Find Happiness for Life. And uh, in the book, it uh, he demonstrates that, um, with uh, actually with real-world examples, that not only is the college path not the golden ticket to a successful and lucrative life it once was, but that a career in the professional trades can provide more economic opportunities right off the bat. And we'll get into all that with uh, Ken Rusk coming up in just about a uh, minute and a half. Well, actually, no, it's going to be a little longer than that. And since we have a few minutes until my conversation with Ken Rusk, we'll uh, celebrate summer a little bit with a uh, tune um, from Greg Nagy. Um, and and I, I recorded a bunch of these. He did a uh, 
series, um, uh, 30 Songs in 30 Days on Facebook during the pandemic. And uh, took requests from people and then learned the song and, and did a little one song Facebook uh video and and released these songs and i decided to record them every day and i collected all 30 and one of them is a, a beatles song and i saw a, kind of an interesting youtube documentary about the beatles last night i just stumbled across it and it got me kind of in the mood for beatles and of course kind of in the mood for summer which uh, starts officially in a little less than two weeks although we unofficially kick it off on memorial day i know but uh but anyway um just feeling kind of in the summer mood i thought we'd hear this uh this little rendition of um george harrison's song from the beatles and uh, celebrate summer and then uh, immediately following this we'll get into our interview with Ken Rusk. So stay tuned and enjoy. Here 
everybody this is the Tom Sumner program and my guest this hour is uh, a uh, Wall Street Journal best-selling author with a new book called Blue Collar Cash Love Your Work Secure Your Future and Find Happiness for Life promising a lot from uh, Ken Rusk who joins me by phone good morning Ken welcome to the show thanks Tom appreciate it thanks for having me um what is what does it really mean um, for someone to love their work? Well, you know, first off, I, I think when when anybody is doing any type of occupation, if they feel like they are progressing in their life, okay, um, you know, people have asked me about. I grew up as a ditch digger, okay. I've been doing that my my whole career, and. People would say to me, well, you know, how did you do that? How did you persevere through all that? And the biggest thing for me was I always had something that I was chasing. I always had something in my life that I was trying to go after to make happen, and I saw constant progress. And I could control a lot of things um, towards the advancement of those things, towards the acquisition of those things that I wanted for myself. So I look at it this way. If you feel like what you're doing is advancing your life and you're truly living, you know, the old saying, we don't live to work, we work so that we can live, then yeah, I think, um, I think that's the way to look at uh, what, what you're going to do on a daily basis so that your life gets better that way. But you, you suggest that um, the old adage that to be successful you had to, um, you know, buckle down, get good grades and, and get into college and, and get a degree. And you're saying that may not necessarily be the path to success. Well, it never has been. So if you look back in the early 80s, they used to have something called shop class in high school. And millions and millions of kids would accidentally discover things like carpentry, plumbing, you know, being an electrician, uh, a mechanic, welder, home economics, any of those things. And so that was a very natural path, which is one of five or six paths to success that somebody would take. Well, somebody decided, let's get rid of all those rooms of, of equipment and let's fill those rooms with computers. Okay, that's fine. So we need to learn computers. I get that. But why did it have to be one versus the other? Why couldn't it have been both? And so what happens is now you have all these high schools that kind of over, you know, over a period of time, they switch to becoming college prep schools. And what that taught the kid, kids was, I guess if I'm not going to college or if I don't want to go to college, I'm less than. And, and that was a big problem and still remains a problem today. And it's one of the primary drivers for why we have this workforce issue because kids aren't growing up putting their hands on a wood lathe. They're, they're growing up, you know, trying to build a tree fort on Minecraft on their cell phone. And it's just not the same experience. You know, I remember, um, I, I, I think it was Rick Perry when he ran for uh, for president. And <clears throat> the Republicans had, had a big field and um, 
during the debate process, I think he suggested that this notion that going to college wasn't necessarily the only way to go, that there were trade schools and other things that might be a better fit. And, uh, and, and he was somewhat ridiculed for that. Yeah, well, you know, if you think about it, most of the people that are in the position of ridiculing anybody are people that have gone to typically, you know, those types of high-end schools. And so it just went against their thinking. It just went against their grain. And you can understand that because I don't think anybody intentionally said, we're just going to shut down supplying kids to the trades and we're going to send them all to college. I don't think anybody woke up and said, let's just do that. I think it just, it kind of happened and it became ingrained and now it's kind of a societal norm. And the thing is, is nobody's ever questioned it. And, well, I, and I'm saying, you know, 50% of the people in the country typically do something with their hands to this day. So we need to continue that balance to keep our economy rolling the way it should be. I remember um, reading and, and hearing about studies that showed um, that, that young people with college degrees would earn X more dollars a year than someone who didn't go to college. And I think that ginned up a lot of parents to, you know, try and get their kids into college so that they would have more. Um, and, and that's part of why people bought into that. Yeah, I, I, think, I think that study is inherently flawed, and I'll tell you why. When, when, they, when they came up with those numbers, they included all part-time, after-school, um, you know, uh, entry-level jobs as if those were going to be careers forever. So that diluted the number way down as to what you could earn. If you take out, you know, someone having a paper route or someone going to work fast food after school or, you know, someone doing a, an entry-level job, if you take just trades and you put, you put, you know, where you have an acquired skill, if you put those up against those, those other jobs, the tables turn really quickly because, you know, you've got, at least in, in many parts of, of the country now, you've got plumbers, electricians, carpenters, welders making more money than lots of four-year degree people, um, especially what I always talk about, which is nonspecific uh, degrees where you're not going to college for any particular reason. You're just going because somebody told you you had to. You come out with a bland business degree, and, and you're making maybe 50000 a year, um, which is less than most kids expect. Now, if you're going to school, I'm not anti-college. If you're going to you know, operate on my shoulder so I can get back out on the golf course, I'm going to want you to know everything there is to know about a knife before you pick it up. And same <laughs> thing goes with, same thing goes true with being a teacher or architect or engineer or anything like that. Yeah, you got to do that. But if you're just going because somebody said you had to, and you'd rather you'd rather pick up a nail gun and build a house, I think that's what you, you should at least uh, consider. More with Wall Street Journal best-selling author Ken Rusk straight ahead. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs>
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Lions. Dan Sterling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annanick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I'm willing to admit that. Hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all always. It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a kind and check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County. Where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods. And in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Babies come with lots of decisions. Cloth or disposable? Crib or bassinet? So when it comes to protection, go with the safest, most effective choice, vaccination. Get all the recommended vaccines for your baby by age two to protect your child against 14 serious childhood diseases. For more reasons to vaccinate, talk to your child's doctor. Go to cdc.gov vaccines or call 800-CDC-INFO. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. 
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with Wall Street Journal best-selling author Ken Rusk straight ahead. Where does the fulfillment um, fall into this? Is you know we're we're taught that we should be doctors or we should be lawyers to you know to to make good money to be successful. Um, and some people do and have aptitudes for those things. Um, but what about doing things that, that a person is actually um, a good fit for? Something, you know, if there's somebody who can work with their hands and, and they're a real artist with that, should they, in fact, be doing that and, and maybe not... Uh, putting a crown on my lower tooth. Well, yeah, you know, it, it's it, it's all about the way you learn. I mean, some people learn more tactically. Some people, you know, learn with their hands. Some people learn more from seeing. Some people learn more from hearing or, or from reading. And so, you know, that's, that's been inherent in our society forever. The fulfillment comes from this. I don't think, and this is just my opinion, okay, I don't think, you can compare the two. If, if you're sitting in a cubicle on the 15th floor of some building somewhere and you're selling medical, medical supplies and you hate it because you just don't really know where you fit into the world versus, you know, get me a dump truck and six beautiful pine trees and some rock and some mulch and some boxwood and, and some other landscaping materials and let me go put that in somebody's front yard, I get to stand back at the end of the day and look at that and go, wow, that's a thing of beauty that's something that will stand the test of time. And I did that. I did that with my own two hands. So I just don't think you can compare the two when it comes to the fulfillment that you're talking about. Now, if you have a company that, let's talk about the medical supply company. If you have a company that has a great culture and can find a way to make that job really feel good and, and make your future bright and, and have you feel like they're involved in your future, then fine. You know, that's the other side of the coin because they're, they're – they're taking a job that is somewhat, you know, menial or, or milk toast or whatever, and they're turning it into something culturally that's really awesome. But I, I just think that's, that's where we're at right now because, you know, you've, you've got this supply and demand issue with, with uh, blue-collar workers. And to say that there's a stigma in working one of those jobs, I mean, <laughs> if you look at their future, their pay, and the control of their time, nothing could be further from the truth there. Andrew Yang uh, wrote a book when he announced he was uh, running for president, his short-lived bid for the presidency in 2016. And he suggested that we needed to do something to change the economy. And he brought up, and he's not the only one who has brought up this idea of a universal basic income or UBI. But he seemed to think that artificial intelligence and other uh, robotic technologies were going to pretty much suck up all the jobs. And there there would be very few jobs left for humans, and, and thus the economy needed to change. What do you what do you think about that? And I I don't mean to throw Andrew Yang under the bus. Um, he just happens to be the first person I heard talk about this, but I've heard others since. 
You know, I, I, I don't really know about the, uh, the future. I wish I was the, I wish I had the ability to predict that. But I, all I can say is this. I think it's going to be a very, very, very long time before a robot, you know, gives you a perm <laughs> or colors your hair or plants a tree or takes a transmission out of a car and fixes it and puts it back in or, you know, um, makes a stone patio outdoor kitchen or, you know, creates, um, you know, a, a, a house and, and, and wires a house. Or I, I think it's just going to be a long time before something like that happens. Do I think that robots will help take over manufacturing? Yes, but here's the problem with that. I always hear about how manufacturing, oh, as manufacturing goes, so goes the blue-collar world. That, that's absolutely not true. That manufacturing has never been more than a very small percentage of blue-collar jobs overall. So do I think it's going to have an impact on manufacturing? Probably. Should we do some more manufacturing in the United States? I think so. Um, you know, just to, to be dependent on ourselves a little more. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't see that, that, um, I don't see that, that plant a tree anytime soon. <laughs> well, you know, I, um, my, my radio show, Ken, is based in Flint, Michigan. And at one time we had the highest paid factory workers on the planet. And, and it seemed like manufacturing was the end all. And when, car manufacturing started to decline here um it it put the town in very rough shape same is true with detroit and some other manufacturing cities what can those cities do to um to encourage and develop the existing labor force that doesn't feel like they have any place to go well, let me just give you an example. Do you remember the documentary they did on Tower Records where um, that company refused to embrace, uh, you know, cassettes and then CDs? I'm trying to remember that, that, that particular transition. And they thought it was albums or nothing. And, um, you know, that, that huge company just kind of fell um, almost on its own sword because they wouldn't embrace that technology. So I, I look at it this way. I think you can't hold any good city down for very long. You can see Detroit is, is, is resurging itself in a lot of different ways. There's some great stuff happening downtown. But I also think they do that because they have to embrace something different, and they have to look for new things. Like, for example, um, I interviewed a gal who was 27 years old. She had taken seven long years to try to get her two-year degree. She had a couple of kids along the way, and it just was grinding on her. So she finally had one elective class to take left, she asked her friend what she should do. They said, take this welding class. I had a lot of fun with it. So now she takes this class. She's patient. She's detailed. She's good at it. She gets a job. She's now standing on top of a 300-foot windmill welding things, making $150,000 a year. <laughs> she had no interest in a welder at all, okay? And three years later, look where she's at. So... In my mind, you just have to go with you have to go with what's out there. I mean, you know, we used to put cassettes into VCRs. We don't do that anymore. So you have to evolve uh, along with it. And I think some of these cities, like especially Detroit, they're they're really trying to find a way to flip themselves over, and they're doing some great things there. You know, it's interesting. Something you said a little bit earlier, Ken, um, 
about shop class when you were in high school. And I remember uh, in our school district, we had a skill center, and some kids could sign up. And, and they actually had one class that would build a house every year. And um, there were opportunities to explore things. And I'm thinking about your example of... Uh, the young woman who became a welder, she got exposed to it. She found something she enjoyed doing and did well, and then she was very successful at it. Isn't it incumbent upon our K-12 through system to give enough options of exploration that kids know they have choices? Oh, absolutely it is. You know, there, there's a, um, I'm, I'm from Toledo, Ohio, so I'm not that far from you. And um, there's, a, there's a, 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 a technical high school that is down in, uh, near, near um, Archibald Napoleon Way. And it serves four counties. And I went to tour this place. And it was born out of necessity, just the way you're talking about. It was born from necessity. And when, when you go to this school, you can literally walk down the hallway past a huge fully functioning hair salon, go right next door to a robotics room, go right next door to a carpentry room, right next door to a welding room, and then a coding room, and then um, a, a place where they wire, they, they do electrical work, and then, you know, like I said, carpentry, building, construction. And it is an amazing place to be because it's, it's, almost, like a, uh, it's almost like a trade carnival. I mean, you, go, you can see <laughs> any type of trade that you want to see there, one after another, and you can kind of immerse yourself in it and go, wow, that looks pretty cool. I think I'd like to try that. And nothing is forever. If you try something, you don't like it, you move on to something else, which this economy is providing a lot of opportunity for with the way you can job shop these days. But, yeah, it, it's, it's an amazing thing. And I think, I think to myself, well, if we're grading ourselves or if we're grading our high schools on only how many you know, um, scholarships and or degrees they produce, then we're going to fail as a society because, again, 167 million people are fully employed in the United States. That's what is considered full employment, about, give or take. And, you know, 70 million of those people, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, do something with their hands. So if there's 10 million unfilled trade jobs out there right now, then we have to fix that or we're going to suffer for it and, and, and you know, Try, try finding an electrician right now who doesn't want your firstborn <laughs> to come out and fix something <laughs> on your house. But it's, it's good for them because supply and demand is a beautiful thing. You can't, you can't fight it. You can manipulate it, but you can't really fight it in its true form. If, um, is, is that the, the immediate uh, benefit of young people exploring and going into blue-collar work is... Uh, um, the idea that they're um, filling jobs that that are or have been recently difficult to fill. Well, yeah, the, I, I look at it this way. So, I guess what I'm saying is, if if you have three or four children, there's probably a good chance that one or two of them probably would learn better in in a tech school situation or in a trade school situation. I mean, unless Unless you're just, you know, heartfelt on every one of them going to college to become doctors or something. I get, I get that. Um, but if, if you think about the opportunities 
that, that are out there right now. And you look at just one particular figure, okay? I call this the $400,000 swing. So if you go to one of these schools where you're paying $45,000, $50,000 a year, hopefully you're not borrowing that money. But if you do, now, now you're, you're four years in and you're $200,000 in debt. Now, if you have a really specific reason for going there, like, man, you got this accounting firm that can't wait to hire you as soon as you get out of school, fine. You still got to pay the debt off, but fine. You're going to make some money. Now, if you decide, you know, I think I'd rather build houses, today, right now, you can go out from high school and earn between forty dollars and $50,000 a year as a brand new apprentice. You do that for four years, now you're talking 200000 on the positive side. That's a $400,000 swing in your asset base by the time you're, what, 22, 23? I mean... That's a, that's a house, that's a 401k funded, that's a, that's a car. It, at least you need to consider that path and that math before you make the decision to just follow the crowd and do what everybody else is doing. How did we end up with a shortage of blue-collar workers? Well, I always call it the perfect storm. So, number one, you got rid of shop class. So that eliminated millions of kids from discovering the trade. So there's one. Number two, kids don't do what I used to do. They don't go out and, and you know, wheelbarrow and rake and shovel and they don't build tree forts. So they try to do everything in their life on their cell phones. So that shuts down even more of the desire to try to find one of those skills. And then you have these colleges that are necessary, but they're really good at shaming you into think if you don't go to college, you're not going to amount to much. And they've convinced teachers and parents and high schools that this is the only path to success. So you have this three-pronged approach that is really shutting down the new influx of people that would want to do these types of jobs. And what's worse is they're indoctrinating kids into thinking there's some stigma. Well, I'm not going to go do that. I'm not going to, you know, build a, a house and I'm not going to go, you know, f- fix a street, even though I'm going to make $50 an hour. I'm, I'm not going to do those things. So they've, they've created this false choice that um, there's only one way to go. And you, you and I both know that every university you can think of is expanding, buying land, building all these buildings. Their endowment funds are huge. And I think to myself, man, you know, they, they've really done a good job of presenting themselves as necessary for all. And I'm saying they're necessary for some, but certainly not all. What, what turned you to this? Um, how, how did you decide to write this book? Well, my company grew from six people to... 200 in about 25 years and in that process I had to hire a lot of people and whenever you're hiring for someone's first second or third job you're tending to catch them in their more inexperienced state right so I ended up becoming almost an involuntary life coach to um, these these folks and it's a job that I love but you know when you're helping somebody trying to figure out their first checking account their first credit card, their first, you know, getting their driver's license straightened away, or their first car, their first apartment. When you're, when you're setting somebody up on a path to be successful, 
and you're creating the culture in your company to support that, you know, you tend to get a lot of experience and you think you've heard and seen it all, right? So um, I, I do a lot of coaching and, and it, I have this process that works very well. Um, I have a whole lot of future millionaires in my company and um, it, it's one of those things where, you know, somebody approached me and said, you know, what you're doing is so cool, you need to get that beyond the four walls of your building. So I just started writing stories and writing notes and talking about friends of mine that I knew and, and things that had worked for me. And, you know, before you know it, I didn't think the book would go 10, <coughs> 10 feet, much less 10 miles. And before you know it, I had an editor and I had, <laughs> I had a PR firm and I had a publisher and I had an agent and um, off we went. And um, here we are, bestseller, uh, you know, a year and some later. And uh, I'm just eternally grateful for it. How did the um, the various quarantines and, and lockdowns uh, the last couple of years um, from uh, reaction to COVID-19 impact the workforce? And, and how did it affect you, Ken? Well, we were in a business that um, our business was cleaning up indoor air. And, and what I mean by that is, we fixed moldy basements and crawl spaces and um, damp, you know, cracked up foundations and, and unhealthy living conditions. So for us, we were a bit exempt because we could go in and, and create healthy living environments for people. We, we, we change and clean the air and that kind of thing was really attractive to people because of, you know, the obviously disease, these diseases floating throughout the air. So it, it, it didn't affect us at all. In fact, we, we were actually able to thrive through it. So I, I was really, I was really grateful for that. But when it, when you talk about the, the you know, the, the, the typical um, guy whose business was shut down or shuttered or whatever, I know that we had to keep these folks going. I know we had to keep them moving along. But I think, I think the the way we did it created this, you know, government will help me with everything kind of mentality, and I think that made us temporarily, I hope, just a little soft and um, a, a little um, uh, maybe looking at some of these jobs through a, a stigma, okay, or a jaundiced eye, as they say. And we're going to get through that because, again, supply and demand is a beautiful thing. But I think it just made us all kind of soft where we all locked ourselves in and we paid ourselves this money for doing nothing. And, you know, you can argue whether it was necessary or not both ways. And I I totally understand both arguments, but it did create a softening of our attitude towards work, and I, I think, uh, and I hope that we get through that. Ken, I really appreciate you spending this time with me and the listeners this morning and sharing some of your expertise and, and some of what's in the book. And we're almost out of time, but I want to give you an opportunity, as I do all my guests, to... Uh, let listeners know where they might find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Um, do you have a website you'd like to share? Yeah, so on the website is KenRusk.com, and then you can follow me on all the socials. at um, It's called Ken Rusk Official, and you'll find me out there. Um, and, you know, we're, we're doing a pretty cool thing. So I never wrote this book to make a nickel from it. I, my, my life is, is very blessed and I'm very grateful for that. And I, I built a course that, you know, sometimes when you read a book, 
and you put it up on the shelf and it becomes a trophy, but you forget what was in it three months later. So I created a little course that you could buy where the, you get a free book, you get this course, you take it online. And um, if you do that, I donate one to any mentee of your choice, whether it's son, daughter, grandson, granddaughter, whoever it might be, cousin, neighbor, friend, family. Um, and I will donate one. So if you decide to get involved and help yourself, think about what your life's going to be. Just know that you're not only helping yourself, but you're going to help somebody else uh, at the same time. Well, that's cool, Ken. Um, thanks again, Ken, and uh, keep up the good work. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. That was Ken Rusk, Wall Street Journal best-selling author of um, his uh, book, Blue Collar Cash, love your work, secure your future, and find happiness for life. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. I wanted to get some new girlfriends So I went and bought a Mercedes Benz A waste of money Eight thousand bucks down the drain I thought the girls would get wild and reckless So I bought cultured pearls and a diamond necklace A waste of money That cost me four thousand more They were returned I got no girls they repossessed Both the car and the pearls I styled my hair just like Cary Grant's Bought a pair of those new tight pants A waste of money Household finance took my pants <laughs> The female gender I just don't get it Just when I'm out Of both cash and credit I found a honey And this is what's funny She don't need my money She works for household finance Fashion Radio For a new generation TomSumnerProgram.com TomSumnerProgram.com TomSumnerProgram.com
Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed. It's a robocall. Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 15th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community School. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Long Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan, Quiplet Technology, My Community College, it's Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. 
Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. I played football for Temple University, and it's the truth, see? Don't keep asking me, did you really play? Yes, I really played. At one time, I had a beautiful body. I weighed, uh, I weighed 192 pounds, and they made me a fullback. Now, before you start tuning up, let me get my story finished. <laughs> no, the truth of the matter is that uh, it didn't take much to play for t- Temple at the time that I was playing, because we had lost 27 games in a row. And uh, we played against real weak teams. I mean, teams like uh, Muhlenberg, Lafayette, um, what's it, Gettysburg, yeah. Get, they all beat us. They all killed us. Especially Hofstra. Hofstra beat us 900 or nothing. In their street clothes, man. They wiped us out. You know? Vassar wouldn't even play us. That's how bad we were, man. Get out of here. We don't even want you on our schedule. So I'm going to give you some insight as to what goes on in the loser's locker room. We're going to play against Hofstra, which is a really terrible school. They killed us every year, boy. And when you play for a team like Temple, you got nothing to do except pace up and down in the locker room. And you say to yourself, boy, I sure do hope I don't get hurt. (laughs) I almost made a tackle last week. I must have been crazy out there. Nobody else is trying out there. I don't know why I got to be the one all the time. I play on the second team, which is actually the nut squad. Now, these are guys that can play, but they're afraid. They don't want to go out there, so they do nutty things. Like they put the helmet on sideways, looking out through the ear hole. <laughs> guys got on scuba diving suits, snowshoe and an ice skate, you know, walking around. <laughs> second team is very quiet, because they're going to go out, scared to death. That's what they are. Catholics on the squad always seem to have something special going, because they're over in the corner. Domino's father, please, Domino's but I figure if it works for him, yeah, me too, Father. He's a friend of mine. He told me how to do this. Here, please accept me. And we're pacing up and down. First team's getting last rights. And we're going. The coach is drawing trick plays on the blackboard because he has no personnel whatsoever, and he knows he's got to work with something that'll trick him. You know. All right, you guys, listen up. Uh, when they come out of the huddle, line up backwards. <laughs> And just let them run right over you, and then we'll raise the flag and everything while you're singing the national anthem, all right? We'll get pity somewhere, I'll tell you that. In comes the athletic director. He says, I'd like to talk to the boys. What? I'd like to talk to the boys. Okay. May I have your attention, please, fellas? This is uh, the athletic director, Mr. Ernie Cassell. He's the man that's responsible for giving most of you the scholarships. He'd like to talk to you, Mr. Cassell. Thank you very much, Coach Macris. Well, boys, here we are again. We're going out and have another fine football game. I'm going to go out and play against Hofstra, because you already know that. You know, they beat us last year 900 to nothing. The year before that, they beat us 900 to nothing. I was over in their locker room, had a chance to look at some of their players, and Christ, they're bigger than they were last year. (laughs) Yes, yes, I know, I know. Fellas, I looked out in the stands, we only have 12 people out there. And this is homecoming. 
Just want to say a few words to you. This is our first game on television. We want to keep this television contract going because this is the only way we can make some money to buy a little scuba diving suits and uh, snowshoes and ice skates for all the weirdo squads here. So we're going to say to you, please, remember that you're on TV. By that I mean, don't worry about winning the game as much as we want you to be concerned with the fact that while you're out there on the field, we're going to ask you, please, do not touch certain areas of your bodies while you're out there on a the football field. Because if you're out there digging and scratching, the people at home are going to turn you right off and we're going to lose the contract. So please, do not touch certain areas of your bodies while you're out there on the field. Now we're going to pass out these affidavits and ask you to sign them, saying that you will not touch certain areas of your bodies while you're out there on a the football field, all right? So we signed them and we went out, you know, and I'm with the second team. And First team's got the ninth time for last ride. Hofstra came out of the locker room. I had never seen guys so big before in my life. They had just brought 11 guys with them. Smallest guy on the squad was 6'1", 490 pounds. It was a halfback. Ran 109-1, had long teeth hanging out of his mouth. Every one of them just had one eye in the center of the forehead. The coach was beating them out onto the field with a ball and chain, hitting them smack in the back of the head. Get out of here! Go on, Igor! What's good, Igor? Said, oh God, don't look at him. If you don't look at him, you won't get scared. Second team went crazy. Oh, look, 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 look. Guys are ripping their clothes off. I can't play naked. Oh. I swear I heard one temple guy on the ground say, can we get up now? No, you move, I'll punch you right in the mouth. So help me, get out of here. We carry him off, ready to coach you. All right, get out there, second team, let's go. <laughs> we got a quarterback that's 2-1. All right, run the kamikaze play on one. All right, kamikaze. Cosby up the middle, the whole team off the field. Break. We break out of huddle, the quarterback goes up to shift. One, two, ping, gives me the ball. I take one step and I look and there's a hole. And I had never seen a hole <laughs> playing for Temple. And I said, God, a hole. <laughs> I turned to the people in the stand, look at this, a hole, you see this? I said, yeah, hurry up, run. I said, wait a minute, it may be a mirage. <laughs> you can't tell. I said, well, I better get moving, I'll never forget it. It was a big hole with a defensive man on the ground I planted one foot, stepped over him. When I did, he stood up and hit me. <laughs> and the pain was tremendous. And I threw down the ball and I said, oh. I've been hit in the... You'd better not touch any areas of your body while you're on the football here.
So I grabbed my head. And then they said, oh, yeah, I said, what's the matter? I said, I can't take nothing until they bring a commercial on, all right? Thank you and good night. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here. <laughs>